Let's get into the Word of God. Um, first of all, I just want to, good morning, everybody. Good morning to those of you who are watching by live stream. Um, let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to share your word, Lord God. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit that is with us, that is in us, that is working through us, changing us, leading us and guiding us, Lord. And tonight, Lord, this morning, Lord, we thank you for guiding me and, and speaking through me, Lord God, as your vessel to minister and present your word this morning. And we pray for open hearts and open minds, Lord God. Those that are here and those that are watching by live stream, Father, reach out to them. Speak into their hearts. Meet them right where they are. And Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. I hope you are spiritually hungry this morning because I prepared a nice spiritual meal for you this morning. Let me begin by sharing this story with you. One night, there was this pastor who was dining with a friend who happened to be a very successful businessman. And for the past three years, this pastor tried to get his friend to actually try to motivate him to, uh, to try to spend consistent time with God. But he was unsuccessful. And, you know, they would get together and they have quiet times together. They would have they would talk about priorities. They would talk about personal discipline. They would talk about how to meditate on God's word. You name it, they discussed it, but to no avail. And so that evening as they were dining together, the pastor just simply asked his friend, how was your time with God? And of course, the friend was, was a little embarrassed by the question. As he was stumbling over his words, trying to respond to the pastor's question. And finally, the pastor just, I mean, the, the friend says, Pastor, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. It's not very good. Yet this man spends over 10 hours a day in his career in untold hours of doing church work, yet he will not set aside consistent personal time with God. Now, if we're honest with ourselves this morning, we'd all admit that we make sure that we make time to do the things that we want to do. Amen? So the issue for what keeps us from spending personal time with God is not for lack of discipline, but rather a lack of appetite. Amen? In other words, there are many people who are just not hungry enough for God. And that's the title of this message. Are you hungry enough? Actually, I should say it this way. Are we hungry enough? This message is much for me as it is for you. John Piper, who is a well-known author and speaker, he made this statement. He says, the greatest threat to our soul and spirit is whatever keeps us from God. Now, we're talking about appetites. Now, I'm sure that none of us need any motivation or encouragement to bring our appetite to a Thanksgiving gathering. Amen? Because we envision, or at least I do anyways, we envision sitting at a table with a large plate in front of us. And on that plate, there's some turkey, some mashed potatoes and gravy, some rice and beans, or both, or maybe a slice of ham, some, some cranberry sauce, 
a little bit of potato sauce, uh, potato salad on the side. And oh boy, let's not forget some of that homemade stuffings. Glory to God. So based on your reaction, I know that none of us need to be motivated or encouraged to bring our appetites. However, no amount of food can ever satisfy our spiritual appetites. Are you hearing me this morning? Listen to what Jesus says over in Matthew chapter 5 and look at verse 6. As we read the words of Jesus, he says this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled or satisfied. Now, Jesus uses the words hunger and thirst, which describes a feeling of intense longing or craving for something. Now, hungering and thirsting is just a natural craving that is common to all of us. Just like when our our stomach growls, when we're hungry for physical food, our spirit man also growls, if you will, when we're hungry for spiritual food. My dad, who's 88 years old, had a couple of episodes where he wasn't eating, and he was losing a lot of weight. And my dad is one who doesn't complain when my mother was concerned and she mentioned it to me and I said, and I would ask dad, dad, how come you're not eating? And he just simply says, because I don't have an appetite. Now, of course, he had to go to the hospital and get himself right and together and thank God that he's doing well and he's eating well. But whenever there's a consistent loss of appetite, there's something seriously wrong physically. In the same way that if there's a loss of of spiritual appetite, there's something definitely wrong. Now, when we talk about spiritual hunger, to, to be spiritually hungry means to crave for something that cannot be filled or satisfied with anything that is material, physical, emotional, relational, financial, To be spiritually hungry or to hunger and thirst after righteousness is simply having a desire with every being in our body, with every being of our soul and spirit, to want more of God. To have a desire and a longing to walk and live with God. I like what Smith Wigglesworth said, because understand this, just wanting it is not enough. You've got to crave for it. Smith Wigglesworth once said this. He said, to hunger and thirst after righteousness is when nothing in the world can fascinate us so much as being near to God. Far too many of us have become spiritually malnourished, not because we're not eating. It's because we're not eating the right kind of stuff. Are you hearing me? Maybe you've all heard the phrase, you are what you eat. And, of course, the thinking behind that phrase is you become the thing that you consume. In other words, what fills us forms us. Whatever you fill yourself with or whatever you fill your time with will eventually flow out of you. Now, how do we know that we're losing our spiritual appetite? Are there warning signs that tell us that this is happening to me? Now, again, when my dad 
when he was losing weight and not having, you know, not having any appetite, you know, to him, he wasn't thinking that there was something medically wrong with him. He just figured that he's just not hungry. The same thing happens to us as well. You know, I, I like to compare this to the man who fell asleep on a boat one day. And, and when he woke up several hours, he found himself drifted several miles away from shore. Wondering, how did I get so far off from the shore? The same thing happens to us spiritually. We begin to wonder why. How many of you remember the time when your desire for God was stronger than it is today? Maybe it was at the time when, when you first gave yourself to the Lord. Or maybe it was when you were going through a very uh, troubled times and, 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 and a very difficult period in your life, which forced you to depend on God in ways that you never had before. Your desire for God and for fellowship with Christ was strong. Your, your love for the studying of the word was strong. Your prayer life was strong. But now, not so much. And you begin to ask yourself, what happened? What changed? How did I drift so far away from God? Thomas Guthrie, who's a Scottish preacher, had this warning for the church. And I think this warning helps us to give, uh, to give us a clue as to where we are spiritually. This was his warning to the church. He says this, if you find yourself loving any pleasure better than your prayers, or loving any book better than your Bible, or loving any house better than the house of God, or loving any table better than the Lord's table, or loving any person better than Christ, he says, be alarmed. If we've lost our hunger for God, it's because our affections have been drawn away to other things, other loves, other desires. Do you remember the letter? As a matter of fact, I'm getting ahead of myself, but if you've lost your hunger for God, there's a good chance that you may also have lost your love for him. If you remember the letters that were written to the book of, um, to, the, to the seven churches in the book of Revelations, and the first letter was sent to the church at Ephesus. And in that letter, it was addressed to them about the problem that they were dealing with. Jesus addressed this problem and he says, you've lost your first love. So could it be that if we've lost our hunger for God, perhaps maybe we've lost our love for him as well. Now, besides living a sinful lifestyle, which can take away our, our desire and hunger for God, there are other things that are not as sinful, but can certainly dull our appetites. For instance, people, families, a favorite sport, hobbies, a certain form of entertainment, educational pursuit, a relationship that you're in, or other activities. These are things that can easily crowd out our desire and love for God and in a subtle way replace it with these other things. And we need to be warned about that. These are things that are not considered overtly sinful. However, they can certainly 
dull our appetites. One of Satan's strategies is to draw our attention away from Christ. It's to dull our appetites or our spiritual hunger with other things. If you remember in the book of Genesis when the serpent was tempting Eve, do you remember how he did that? He drew her attention away and drew her towards the, uh, the, the forbidden fruit. He just drew her attention right to that fruit until that fruit became pleasant in her eyes and had become desirous, something to be desired. And he succeeded. Then the devil tried to use that same tactic with Jesus when he was fasting in the wilderness for 40 days. And the scripture says that he was hungry. Do you remember what the first temptation was? He, command, he, he, he told Jesus, if you're the son of God, command this stone to turn to bread. Only this time he didn't succeed. Glory to God. But it was Satan's attempt to steer their appetites from other things and away from God. And because hungering and thirsting is so common to human nature, it's going to find a fulfillment in other areas. I'm sure that this has happened to all of us. When you have, after spending a long day at work or running errands or doing some church activity and then you're on your way home and you're hungry, How many of you have been hungry on your way home? We've all have. But you're not just hungry, you're starving. But you know that you have a nice meal waiting for you when you get home. Or some nice leftovers that you can't wait to get to. But because you're so hungry, you can't wait to get home. So what do you do? You stop somewhere and get a snack. Just to tie you over till you get home. But when you get home, you find that you're not as hungry as you once were. Or maybe not even hungry at all. And I know that my wife gets mad at me when I'm not hungry because she knew I stopped somewhere to get a snack. (laughs) Why? Because you satisfied your hunger with other things. Now remember, hunger is basic to human nature. So it's often going to find fulfillment somewhere else or in some areas. It's like eating unhealthy junk food that will dull your your appetites physically. In the same way, anything that is not of God will certainly dull our spiritual appetite. Did you know that appetite dictates or determines the direction of our lives? Did you know that? The more we use stuff to satisfy our emotional our material, our physical, our relational appetites, the more distance we put between us and God. You've all heard the song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places? Well, so many of us look to be filled and satisfied in all the wrong places and with all the wrong stuff. I like what uh, Pastor Tony Evans says. He was talking about how there are many folks in the church who take God in small doses throughout the day and throughout the week, and then somehow hope on Sunday they can catch up on their time with God. Saints, Sunday is not the time or the place to catch up on your time with God. 
That's something that you should have done all week. But unfortunately, there are so many who do that. Ian Bounds once says to belittle with God is to belittle for God. And and instead of thinking of worship, Bible studies, prayer, and fellowship as something that we get to do, we now think of them in terms as things that we have to do. What was once a delight has become a chore and a duty. Our prayers have withered. Our Bible studies have been diminished. Our church attendance has become inconsistent. And even our lifestyle has become no different than the lifestyle and culture of this world. God and all that pertains to God has become uninteresting, boring, and dry. Even when it comes to spiritual activities, we get so busy doing church programs and church projects and other functions, and we can easily lose our appetites or at least dull our appetites for the things of God. Am I speaking to someone here this morning? Let's talk about the principles of sowing and reaping. There's something to be said about this principle because understanding this principle will help us to be more aware of our choices and our directions in life. Now, I mentioned to you earlier that appetites dictate or determines our direction in life. Knowing that whatever we sow will determine the results that will be produced in our lives. If you satisfy your appetite with unhealthy food, then you're going to produce an unhealthy life filled with all kinds of medical problems. So go to Galatians chapter 6 and look at verse 7. As Paul introduces this very principle, he says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Now, I'm sure that many of you here this morning and those who you're watching understand the term sowing and reaping. But I cannot assume that everyone knows what that term is. So let me take a couple of seconds to explain to you this term. Sowing and reaping is an agricultural term. The, the word sowing is just another word for planting seeds. And the word reaping is just another word for harvesting. And it's a natural law to harvest what we plant because every action has results. For instance, a farmer who plants corn should not expect a harvest of anything other than what he's planted. As Christians, we need to develop a same farmer's mentality, knowing that or or being careful and intentional about, about what we sow into our lives. As a matter of fact, Every one of us is sowing something into your, our lives. The question is, what are we sowing? And like a farmer, every one of us must decide what crop we want to produce in our lives and then plant accordingly. Why? Because what we get back will, will uh, be directly related to what we put in. And that's what Paul says over in verse 8. Look at verse 8 of Galatians, Galatians chapter 6. He says this. 
Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from that Spirit. Now, what's interesting is that when I was studying the principles of sowing and reaping, the Spirit of God brought something to my remembrance. It brought me back to the time when I was in middle school. And I was about 12 years old at the time. And I developed this habit of skipping school. Don't laugh, because I know some of you have done the same thing too. So, And so, and what's interesting also is that my parents started getting a little suspicious because they saw my brother with a pile of homework and they wondered why I didn't bring any homework. So whenever they asked me, I just said, well, I did it in school. And so until one Saturday morning, and there was a phone call that we received in the house phone. And my father happened to be the one to answer the, the phone. You know where I'm going with this. And it was the school principal wanting to know why I've been out of school so much. Now, of course, all this was unbeknownst to me because I was in my bedroom with the door closed and I was deeply engrossed in my studies of the Amazing Spider-Man comic book. (laughs) Until my father calls out my name. And you know that certain tone that parents have when they call out your name that tells you trouble is on the way? Well, I heard that same tone when my father called me out. And I, of course, I knew I was in trouble. I just didn't know what. Until I got out of the room and my father asked me, have you been going to school? And now, that would have been a time for me to humble myself and confess the errors of my ways and throw myself at the, at the mercy of my father. But instead, I chose to, I chose a, to make a one last ditch effort to save myself from the molly whooping that I was about to receive. <laughs> And of course, none of, none, everything that I said did not fly with my dad because I got the molly whooping of all molly whoopings. And then on top of that, I received a whole month. I was grounded for a whole month. I sowed to my flesh. And I reaped a harvest of pain and sorrow. Now go with me to Job chapter 4 and look at verse 8. Job chapter 4 in verse 8 says this. My experience shows that those who plant trouble and cultivate evil will harvest the same. Every action has results. What are you sowing into your life? Or should I ask this? What are you satisfying your appetites with? Every sower decides what what his harvest will be, which means we have to evaluate what we sow into our lives. Now, how do we satisfy our spiritual appetite? Go back to Matthew chapter 5 and look at verse 6. <clears throat> Matthew 5 and verse 6 says this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, when reading this verse, it implies that those who hunger and thirst have a strong spiritual appetite and a continuing desire for personal righteousness. So the question is, are we hungry for the right things? Again, let me make a comparison to physical hunger and the way we handle it. When we get hungry, what do we do? We look for something to satisfy that hunger. Because what hunger does is it causes us to seek 
the things, anything that will help fill or fulfill that need, that desire, that hunger, even if it's something that is not good for us. Now, if you were at work and you're hungry and, you're, and lunch break is about three hours away, you normally would take your morning break to go to the snack machine or to the soda machine to satisfy that hunger. If you were at home, you would go to the cupboard or to the refrigerator to find something that will take away that, that feeling of hunger and thirst. Now, there is a hunger that, there is a hunger for God that is often not recognized for what it is. People in this world are spiritually hungry. They just don't know it. They don't recognize for what it really is. So what they do is they satisfy their hunger and thirst with something that, with worldly uh, junk food, I'll say, worldly junk food that cannot satisfy or nourish their spiritual need. And that hunger that is in the world is God's reminder that there is something in us that needs to be filled. And that reminder is meant to point to the one who can fill it. But unfortunately, they choose to find other things to fill and satisfy their hunger, to satisfy that feeling of emptiness. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 6 and look at verse 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 6, and look at verse 7. I'm going to read this to you from the, uh, God's word. Oh, great, we got it. All right. It says, everything that people work so hard for goes into their mouths, but their appetites are never satisfied. People work hard every day to improve their lives, to improve their lot in life, to improve their children's life, but all of their efforts does not and cannot fulfill or satisfy their spiritual need. We look for ways to, to, to fulfill that feeling of emptiness, to make that emptiness go away with other things. How many remember the rock artist Alice Cooper? Okay, when you raise your hand, you, you're revealing your age. <laughs> but as we know, Alice Cooper was a famous rock artist, especially during the 70s and 80s. Uh, he was big. He was one of the top rock artists. But now he's become born again since. And one day he was being interviewed by CNS News. And this is what he said in this interview. Of course, he was relating to the time when he was a rock artist. And he said this. This is, this is powerful. He said, when you get out there and realize you've had every car, every house, and all that you realize, and all that, you realize that, there's not the, that that's not the answer. He says, there's a big nothing out there at the end of that. That is the end of his success. And he says this, a lot of people say that there's a big God-sized hole in your heart. And when that is filled, you're really satisfied. And that's where I'm at right now. A powerful, awesome testimony from a man who had everything that every man can ever dream. All the money, all the fame, all the fortune, all the accolades, all the awards for his craft. But yet none of that filled that deep craving in his life and in his heart. So you can try to fill your lives with anything but Christ, 
and you'll still be not satisfied. You can be the richest person in the world. You can be the most successful businessman in the world. You can achieve the greatest thing ever in the world. But that does not fill that hunger and desire that you have inside. He says there's a big God-sized hole in, in our hearts. That has to be filled and nothing can fill it. And there are many people who, who look to satisfy themselves with fun, pleasure, gratification, entertainment. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Of course, depending on where you're looking for your pleasure and entertainment. But none of that can satisfy you. All that does is create a much deeper longing and desire for God. You just don't know it. Matthew 5, 6, Jesus says, blessed, that means happy, are those who hunger and thirst, not for other things, but for righteousness. Then he promised, for they shall be filled or satisfied. There is a spiritual hunger in every human heart, a big God-sized hole that can never be satisfied except Jesus Christ. Go to John chapter 6 and look at verse 35. John chapter 6 and verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. If you remember the story in John chapter 4, when Jesus was sitting at the well waiting for his disciples to come back when they went into town to get some food. As he was sitting at the well, he meets up with the Samaritan woman. And so he has a conversation with her. Then he offers her living water. He says, I'll give you living water. When you drink of it, you shall never thirst. And then she says, give me this living water so I don't have to keep coming back to draw water from this well. Of course, she was thinking in natural terms. But Jesus was talking about spiritual matters. But what's interesting is that when the woman said, give me this water, Jesus says something to her that seemed kind of random. He says, go get your husband. And she says, sir, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus says, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five other husbands. And the one that you're with today, right now, is not your husband. Jesus offered her spiritual waters or, or living water simply because... When Jesus looked at this woman, because he knew everything about this woman's personal life. And when he looked at this woman, he saw this big, huge void in her life. A void that she tried to fill and satisfy through relationships. And it seems apparent that the relationship was not fulfilling her desire or that craving that she had in her heart. Because she's gone through five relationships and now she's on the sixth one. Jesus never accused her or excused her. But what he did was offer her something that was more satisfying and more fulfilling and more lasting. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. If any man comes after me and if any man believes in me, he says, they will never hunger and they will never thirst. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, take no thought for your life. A better translation is, do not worry about your life. 
Then in Matthew 6 and verse 33, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Make the kingdom of God and his righteousness your first priority. Make it the first thing that you choose. And he says, and all these things shall be added to you. In other words, you will never have to worry about anything else again. The term bread of life that Jesus uses here means bread which provides life and satisfaction to meet our daily spiritual needs. Bread during the time of Jesus was considered the main staple in every Jewish home. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, what he's saying is, I am your main staple. I am your necessary food. Jesus is also our main staple and our necessary food. He's the only one that can bring satisfaction and meaning to our lives. Anything else would leave us hungering, thirsting, and unsatisfied. There are many of you here this morning whose appetites have become dull because of other things. Other things that got into your life. Other things that have drawn your attention from God and seeking other things to satisfy whatever need you're trying to satisfy. And so the question is, how can we cultivate that hunger? How can we build that hunger back up towards God? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because with the time we have remaining, let's take a look at some of the ways that we can cultivate our hunger for God. Of course, one of the obvious ways that you can do that is having a a consistent prayer life. Now, that's a completely different subject all by itself. We just don't have time to get into it. But another obvious way that we can cultivate our hunger is studying and meditating on God's word. Now, I know many of you, most of you, if not all of you, read your Bibles, and that's good. Some of you have read your Bibles through and through several times. But the Bible doesn't tell us just to read the Bible. It tells us to study and meditate on the scriptures, which means that takes time. I like when, in, when God appointed Joshua to lead his people over into the promised land. Since Moses died, died and, and sort of gotten out of the way. God says to Joshua, if you're going to make your way prosperous as a leader and if you're going to have great success... He says, take this book of the law and meditate it on day and night so that you may do and not just to know what is written therein. The only way that you're going to gain any success or any, any, any making your way prosperous is by taking the time to study and meditate on God's word. Something else that's important about the word of God is that when you look into the word, It's like looking in a mirror. When you look to the word, you're not looking at your reflection. How many remember the story of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? I know know everybody knows the story. Come on, raise your hands. And you remember the, the wicked witch, where every morning she would get up, stand in the mirror, and ask the mirror. She actually talks to the mirror. How many of you talk to your mirror? I do on occasion. And when I look at the mirror, the words I say is, brother, you're getting old. 
So yeah, I do talk to my mirror. But this wicked witch talked to the mirror and says, mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of them all? And of course, the, the wicked witch was waiting for the mirror to compliment her. But she was in for a shock because what she saw was an image of Snow White. She looked into the mirror, but she saw somebody else. The purpose of the scripture is to show you the fair one. To show you the reflection of Jesus. And the more we spend time looking to the word or looking at his reflection, the deeper our understanding and our knowledge of him becomes. And then the spirit of God will be able to help change us and become more like that reflection that we're looking in before us. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and look at verse 18. It says this, so all of us who have had their veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is that spirit, makes us more and more, what, like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Another way that we can increase our hunger and thirst for God is by weaning ourselves from worldly diet. You know, we've all been on diets, and maybe you're still on a diet. And you know, in order to, be, to have a successful diet, you, there are certain foods that you have to wean out of your diet, out of your daily diet, right? There are sweets, there's fried foods, all of these things in order to have a successful diet. It's very hard to pursue God and make time for God and keep our eyes and focus on him when our eyes are on worldly things. It's like when you're sitting at the table, if you're dieting, and, you're hit, and you have this large plate of salad. And everybody else on the table has a plate full of fried chicken. I don't know about you, but it's very hard to focus and keep my eye on some boring salad when everyone else is eating good. But if we decide to discipline ourselves, to stay focused in our pursuit of God, then we will have success. Look at John chapter 1. Look at verse 16. In, John, in verse 15, uh, John says, Not to love the world, nor the things that are in the world. He says, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. That's the lust of the flesh. And a craving for everything that we see, and that's the lust of the eyes. And then the pride of our achievement, and that is of a possession, that is the pride of life. And he says this, these are not from the Father, but are from God. So to cultivate your spiritual hunger, you may have to give up some of these worldly things. And if you do, be prepared for some withdrawals. You know, if you're going, you know, if you're on a diet, you go through these withdrawals, right? You have these cravings for the things that you know you cannot eat and things that you miss eating. You have Twinkies and funny bones and fried chicken dancing in your head, <laughs> trying to tempt you and draw you away from your diet. 
But we have to be willing to starve the, our, the appetites of this world that compete with our appetites for God. Are you hearing me this morning? And the second thing, oh my goodness, look at the time. The second thing is just to make some simple adjustments to your life. Sometimes you just make, make, you have to make some adjustments, change some things around, change your schedule around. David was one who made some adjustments in his life in order to pursue God and spend more time with God. The Bible says in Psalm 63 and verse 1, he says, Early will I seek you, my soul thirsts for you. Maybe you have to get up early in the morning so you can have more time to pursue God. Maybe you have to change when and how you do your devotionals. How many of you have fallen asleep when you're trying to pray or read your Bible? We all have. And if that happens, it could mean that you might have to change some things. Change when you read and study your Bible. Change when you pray. It's about making simple adjustments in your life. The third thing. Be around spiritually hungry people. Spiritual hunger is contagious. Get around hungry people or people that are mature and further along in their Christian journey. Listen to what they listen to. Read what they read. Observe their spiritual habits and make those habits yours. Pattern your life after them. Paul had the same Advice to the church of Philippi in Philippians chapter 3. Look at verse 17. Paul says this. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and then learn from those who follow our example. And then to the Corinthian church, he simply says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. The fourth thing, I've got to go quickly here. And Pastor Scales mentioned something. I mentioned this. He said music. Listen to some more worship music and Christian music. There's something powerful and phenomenal about music. We have an awesome worship team that knows how to lead us to the highest level of praise. And praise and worship allows us to draw even closer to God. When we listen to the lyrics of the music... It's ministering to us. Sometimes it, it, it talks about things that relate to our lives, things that we've, been, that we've gone through or things that we may be going through at, at present. But what it does, it increases our faith. It draws us closer to God. It makes us even more hungry for God. That's why when we're here and we're praising God, you see people with their arms stretched out like they were trying to reach the ceilings. Or you, get to, you see people on their knees and bowing down, you, also, you see some people with tears coming through their eyes. Why? Because they've come to a place Amen. of worship. They've come into the presence of God. And when they're in that place of worship, they don't want to leave. And there are times when we wish that we could just stay in that place of worship throughout the whole service. And that will come as the Spirit leads us. But there's something about music that ministers to our spirit man. And encourages us and draws us even closer to God. And makes us more hungry for him. Because all that he had done. These Christian artists and even our our worship team are God's vessel to minister to us. Through music and through the words that come from that music. Hallelujah. 
And finally, as I get ready to close, living a committed life. Go to Luke chapter 9, look at verse 62. Verse 62, Jesus says, but Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus is not looking for half-hearted followers. He's looking for wholehearted followers. He's looking for total commitment and not half-hearted commitment. Let me end with this story. There was an evangelist who was invited to overseas to minister in the crusade. When he got there that night, the host was there to pick him up, to take him back to the church because he was scheduled to speak that evening. And so as they were on their way to church, the car stalled. The host didn't realize that the gauge in his car was broken, and so he didn't know that he ran out of gas. The driver tried to take his passenger somewhere with no gas in the car. So what the host and the driver did, uh, the traveling minister did, was they got out of the car and pushed the car to the nearest gas station. When they finally got to the gas station, they were able to fill up the tank with gas. And then they started up the car, and the car and the motors was revved up and ready to go. Now, prayer would not have solved their problem. And the car, even though they had two holy and righteous men, wouldn't budge without getting fed what it required in order to run. Many of us want to give God everything except what God wants. We want to offer God a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And then we wonder why our spiritual engine is not revving. But instead it's sputtering and stalling. God is requiring from us what we are not giving up. And that is a committed life. That means entrusting God with everything. Your very life. Your finances. Your family. Your possessions. Your career. Your, your very life. Everything, everything about you. And put it in his control and guidance. And believing that God can care for us better than we can care for ourselves. Go to Psalm 119 and verse 37. Paul had a desire to know God more than anything else. And he says in Philippians 3.10, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. But if we're not there, then this is a prayer that we should pray. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Or you can say, turn my appetites, my attention, my focus, or my desire at worthless things and and, and revive me in your way. Hallelujah. Before we release you, we have uh, we celebrate the Lord's table this morning. And uh, if you've not received uh, a communion cup, uh, there'll be ushers in the aisle. But before we do that, let me just say this. If you're here this morning and you've heard this message, and those of you here watching, you've heard this message and you realize that your appetite has been dulled as well. 
And you find yourself losing that hunger and desire that you once had for God. Or maybe you have a big God-sized hole in your life or in your heart that needs to be filled. And you try to fill it with everything in life. And you found that you're still not satisfied. Well, that's because that hole has to be filled with Christ Jesus himself. Every one of us here who are born again was there. We've been there where our lives have been empty. And we try to find ways to fill that emptiness, and it just wasn't enough. That's because you're missing the main ingredient, which is Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning, and you want to fill that empty hole or that void in your life, there'll be some people here right beside me at the end of service, and there'll be people right over here. The people here will pray for you lead you to the Lord and there are people here that's going to give you some materials that will help you to understand the decision you made. Those of you who are watching, there's a number on your screen. If you want to feel that emptiness in your life, give us a call. There'll be someone there tomorrow morning in the office. Our our office hours are 8.30 to 4. Give us a call. Somebody will be there to talk with you, lead you in prayer, and send you the same materials that we're handing out today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I pray that with this message you found where you are spiritually and leave here knowing whether your appetites have been dulled or not. Because we didn't really have time to get into all of the many different practical ways you can do that. But if you spend time meditating in God's word, if you get around hungry people, if you spend time listening to worship music, if you're willing to make adjustments in your life, that's a way to start. Now, as we celebrate the Lord's table, I want to do something a little bit different. I want to read something to you. This is based on a true story. If you can all stand, if you have your communion cups with you. mind thank you Pastor John this is based on a true story where a man was out with his wife they got caught up in a terrible hailstorm it was a, a massive hailstorm as a matter of fact the report says that those hailstones was about the size of baseballs and they were coming down torrentially And the husband realized that he had to do something in order to protect his wife because if he didn't, his wife would have been seriously injured. So what the man did was he he draped himself over his wife using his body to shield her from the torrential hailstones. And as the hailstone was coming down, it seemed like they were getting bigger. But he was still hovering over his wife, covering her and receiving all of that hailstone. And of course, the hailstone was doing some damage. And the husband couldn't find any other way, so he had no choice but to stay where he was, covering his wife as the hailstone was beating up on his body. 
After a while, the hailstone took its toll on the man's body. His ears began to bleed. He had warts and, and spots all over his head because of the constant beating and the torrential hailstorm that was coming down on him. And it got to a point where he finally collapsed. But he was still covering his wife with his body while absorbing all of the punishment. When the storm finally ended, the man was filled with cuts, bruises, sores, and abrasions because of the punishment that he received. Those bruises, those abrasions were a constant reminder forever of the day that he was able to save his wife from the hailstones. And the local newscast, the reporter, talked to his wife and asked the wife about how she felt about the experience. And she said this. She said, every time I look at the scar on my husband's head, on his neck, and on his ear, I love him more. And every time I see the scar, I love him more because he sacrificed for me. When you and I get to heaven, it's only because of the scars that Jesus bore on his body. He had scars in his hands, scars on his feet, scars on his side. It's a constant reminder of his love. He is our eternal reminder that the reason why you and I are getting to heaven was because Jesus stood in between God's wrath and the judgment that was heading our way. Christ covered us with his love. He was disfigured and he shed his blood because he loved us. And this is why we're celebrating the Lord's table this morning as a constant reminder of the wonderful sacrifice that he made for us. Bruised for our transgressions and shedding his blood for us. 1 Peter 2.24 says this, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes or scars you were healed. So at this time, we're going to take the bread. As a remembrance or a constant reminder of the disfigured body and of the scars that Jesus bore in his body. We take the bread and eat it in remembrance of him. Then we take this cup, which represents his blood that flowed from those very scars that he bore for us. The blood that washed away all of our sins and made us right with God. We take and drink it in remembrance of him. Lord, we thank you that we can remember the day that your son died on the cross, carrying our very sins upon him. We thank you, Father God, for the sacrifice you've made. Thank you, Lord, that because of him, we're able to 
share our lives for all eternity with in your presence. Lord, we thank you, Father God, that we can remind ourselves daily of the wonderful sacrifice you made. And Lord, we thank you and we appreciate all that you've done and we love you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people say it aloud. Amen. At this time, we're going to have the worship team close us out. Thank you all. Have a wonderful day. Good morning and welcome to Faith Christian Center. We're so glad you joined us online today. Thank you for taking the time to be with us. What a beautiful message by Pastor Mike Sandell about being hungry and being filled by the Lord. You know, there's not much else that can fill us up in life, just like he said. Nothing like the Lord's filling. You know, I have a little grandson who just had a birthday, and he was afraid to go to sleep the night before because he thought someone might steal his birthday. He was also afraid that someone might steal his cake. And his parents reassured him, no, you'll be filled with your cake your birthday, that's your heritage and your birthright, and we won't let anyone steal it from you. Well, how much more Jesus? You know, he gives us a new birth. We have a birthright, a heritage in him, and he's the only one who can fill us with those things that we desire, which is peace and joy and love and kindness and all those uh, beautiful things we don't necessarily find in the world. You can only find them through Christ. If you would like to speak to someone about asking Jesus into your life so that you have a new birthright, a heritage that can't be stolen from you, please call the church office weekdays at 508-336-4110. And a pastor will speak with you and explain more to you about this hunger that you feel that has not been filled by anything else. And we love you here at Faith Christian Center. We worship our Lord together, whether you're home, watching online, or you're here. And we ask if you can, come on Wednesday nights at 7.30, uh, Sunday mornings at 9.30. We'd love to have your presence. But if you can't, thank you for joining us online, live streaming. That means a lot to us. So this week, we pray you have a wonderful week, full of joy, full of the Lord and that you hunger for him. Those who hunger after righteousness shall be filled. Seek him. Call us. We love you. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Amen.